fulfilled. If you haven't signed up and you because you've forgotten, please tell Rosie. If you think of anybody that you think might enjoy it, send them along. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Father, thank you that... Um, yeah, just thank you, Lord, that we're here. Thank you that uh, you want to speak to us. Thank you that we want to hear your voice. Thank you for the anointing that we've all received, Lord. You say that um, we have an anointing from the Holy One, you say through John, and um, we know that the anointing is your Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Lord. And, and, and because we have that anointing of your Holy Spirit, we all know. That's what you tell us in John, First John, Lord, that we all know. And, um, and so thank you that we are able to know the truth that sets us free, that you have given us your spirit to, to um, give us understanding and insight and clarity about the things that we hear and see and read and, and about the way we're supposed to apply them in our lives. So thank you for that. Thank you that you haven't just left us on our own, that you are leading and directing us in this life of faith. And help us now, Lord, as we, uh, we complete this uh, study on making disciples, help us in this last session to really understand fully what it is you want us to know about being a disciple and making disciples, so that we really can live for your glory, Lord, so that it's not just words, but it's actual reality in our life. And I thank you, Father, that if we truly want that, we will receive that from you, because that's what you want us to want. And so I thank you that um, even just the simple act of our aligning our will with yours pleases you and honours you and we can be sure that you honour those who honour you. So I praise you Lord and I thank you and I ask you to speak loud and clear tonight. Help us to, as I say, hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see. That you might be glorified and we might be full of joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, first thing. This is um, the last session. We're talking about making disciples, and the big thing uh, that I think that lots of believers don't really fully grasp is that you, uh, the Christian life cannot be lived alone. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. We are um, described throughout the New Testament as a community, a family, a body, um, and those things are not accidents. Uh, God describes us in that way because he's trying to get a message over to us that on our own, we will always be defeated mm -hmm. and that we have to be in fellowship one with the other. Um, I think that we, we don't understand the great need we have for fellowship. I think that that is really sorely missing in our understanding. And too often, we try to live the Christian life alone. And especially in this part of the world, especially in our country, where we have to have the stiff upper lip and the British Reserve and, you know, we don't share everything with other people and we've got so many rules of etiquette and rules of what we can and can't say. Um, we tend to go into our Christian life in the same way as our human life was before and we take all of that baggage with us and we forget, really, that God's designed us for relationship and for fellowship. And, um, and it's only really when we come into what real fellowship is that we start to actually... Um, really reap the blessing, I think, of, of the Christian life. Yeah. Um, it's hard to be a Christian on your own. Really hard to be a Christian on your own. Go ahead, Eve. 
Can I just say, when mm. we were out in Quebec Sierra, my dread was this living in community. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do you know, it was so beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Mm. It, it, what you're saying is absolutely mm. true. Mm. To live amongst people where your first remit is to worship him and it's to serve go, him. Yeah. And then to love one another. Yeah. It's, it's mm. a beautiful way to live. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, thank you. So the Bible teaches that um, surviving and thriving in, in uh, a life of faith depends on us intentionally building one another up in the body of Christ, intentionally um, fellowshipping together. It doesn't just happen, that's the thing. I mean, I think in some cultures it might happen a little more naturally, but it doesn't just happen in ours. We have to be intentional about discipleship, about evangelism, and about fellowship. Um, and without that intentional faith-building fellowship, we will not adequately represent Christ. See, that's the bottom line of it. You know, it's, uh, one thing is to enjoy fellowship and be built up and be strengthened individually and to find you know, the blessing in fellowship for ourselves. But the whole point of your life and my life is that we represent Christ. And so no amount of blessing on you individually and no amount of, or on me individually, is, um, is just for me or just for you. It's for the body of Christ. It's because we represent Jesus and we do that best when we fellowship best and when we edify and build each other up. And so um, what happens when we don't do that? What happens to Christians when we don't um, intentionally fellowship together? What do you think happens? We get isolated. We fall away, we get isolated and we fall away. Now that's including, I'm including in that, even when you say you're in fellowship, but you're not really in fellowship. So when you meet other <coughs> believers and you sit down, you might have a cup of coffee, like you might come here. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Been a lovely day and... Traffic was bad getting here, and, and, and Maria, well, cow jumped right out in front of me, and, but I stopped the car, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. That's lovely, and that's all conversation and all good, but that's not fellowship. This is not fellowship unless we are sharing, deliberately sharing lives and sharing the truth about God, one with the other. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's social... Um, whatever the word is, social interaction, but it is not fellowship. And, and God says we need fellowship. And um, you know, because I'm always going on about Design and Truth fellowship groups, that's the reason that we're pushing fellowship groups and always have done, because it's just impossible to be a Christian alone. And it's impossible to be an effective Christian if the people you meet with if you all spend your time talking about other things <coughs> or talking about your own issues without any resolve or any victory that comes out of it or any, anything that comes from that, it's just a complete waste of time. Don't bother. Don't bother. Of course we have to share our difficulties and our trials and our issues, of course. But the only reason, the reason God's put you in my life is that when I share something with you, you listen and you empathise and you sympathise and you, you put your arms around me and you love me, but then you say, praise God that he causes all things to work together for good. Praise God that he will finish what he began in you. Praise God that he won't leave you as you are, that nothing can separate you from his love. Praise God that those things are true. 
if you, if you can't give me that or won't give me that or don't give me that, actually, I'm better off without you. I'm better off without you. <coughs> Exactly, exactly. It's just all the things that are wrong and all the difficulties. And, and there's a place for that. Please don't get me wrong. I mean, there are some things in life that are so hard, they need to be, you need to spend time on them and you need to be able to share them and you need to be with people who will listen and care and love you through them. But what I'm saying is, if, you can't, if we can't move on from that and take any strength, we won't take strength in that relationship unless we are being built up by Christ through his spirit using his word that just won't happen um, it's like Paul he always says thanks be to God yes. whenever he's to yes. all the trials he's going through exactly. but, but know, there's always a but but God but God yes. yeah. always. you need to hear that don't you you do, you do. and sometimes you won't want to hear it because your life's so tough at that time you don't want to hear it and because you feel like it's maybe a <coughs> patronising, don't quote scripture at me, <laughs> you know, but uh, if you're already in a fellowship that cares enough, mm -hmm. and if you're already in a relationship or in relationships with other believers that are meaningful and real, mm -hmm. then when they do say something that you, you just don't want to hear at that time, you can still take it mm -hmm. because it's coming from someone that you know loves you. Yes. That's what fellowship is all about. That's why we're going to push again next year, the fellowship groups, because fellowship, small group <coughs> fellowship, maybe four to six people, is, is necessary in the Christian life. It's really necessary. You know, I always think of that picture that Paul gives us of the, in Ephesians 6 when he says, put on the full armour of God, you know, and then he goes through the armour. And he's, he's picturing Roman centurions. And Roman centurions always stood up together in fours. So the, the, the statement, I've got your back, comes from there that they were in fours, and so no, everyone was facing outward, so each one had the other's back. That's what fellowship is, that's what, that's what we are to be like. So, and I take four people from that and say, okay, four to six is probably the maximum no, that you can have sorry. that sort of fellowship with. I just thought, you know, like four people, so you can think, oh, you've got a fellowship group, there's four people, that's very nice. You've got another one here, yeah, four people, that's very nice. But in actual fact, it just popped into my mind that in um, Acts it says, and they, they met together continually in other people's houses. Mm -hmm. So it's as though that ball actually could go out and oh, do something special course, with that ball. Of course, of course. Yeah. It's not just to have a little holy no, with this ball. No, no, it's yeah. about, no. about blending and yeah. mixing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. it is. And to understand that really to have the sort of fellowship that God has made available to us, you can't have that with a room full of people. You just yeah, can't. No, no. no matter how real we are with each other, we can't fellowship with each other like that. We just can't. Because we don't have the time and we've come here. I mean, even this, I think this is fellowship. But it's not the sort of fellowship I'm talking about. It's not. Because we've come here individually to look at the Word and study the Word. That's what we're here for. But we have to have that fellowship. Because it's from those fellowship groups that we start to go out, we start to be disciples, proper disciples, and then make disciples. Because God's designed it that way. And as Rosie says, thank you, yeah, because it doesn't mean you can't all come together. It doesn't mean that this isn't a type of fellowship. It means that you need another type of fellowship mm -hmm. as well. And it also means that you can't have non-believers in that fellowship. Because non-believers are not in fellowship with God. And they can't be in fellowship with you. They can be your friend or your family. You can love them to death, but they're not in fellowship with you. 
And so you need to have, so if you have unbelievers coming in, if you have a small group that meets and you want to be able to invite unbelievers, that's great, but that's not your strengthening fellowship meeting. That's your outreach. That's your, you know, evangelism thing. Um, so uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 4, Romans 4, um, verse 9. And um, Romans 4, uh, 9 and 19, sorry, not 9, 19 and 20. Without becoming weak in faith, this is Abraham, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Belief that glorifies God always trusts in the promises of God. Glorifying God is believing his promises for yourself. It is actually trusting that what God says in his word is true. It's true for you. It's true for all believers. Um, how did we come into this relationship then with God? How did we first come into that relationship <coughs> with God? What enabled us to have this belief, this faith? Or how, what do you believe that brought you into a fellowship with God? Anybody out there? It's difficult to put it into words because there's so much. Well, no, there's one event that made it possible for you to be in fellowship with God. The cross. Yes, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what made it possible and brought you in to fellowship with God. But when you believe in Jesus in that way, you believe in his death and his burial and his resurrection, you don't only stop there. What else do you believe in that? So let's say Jesus is the one who brought you into fellowship with God. What do you believe about Jesus? Yeah? And? You believe that he's the way, Jesus is the way to the Father. Yes. Through Jesus we come yes. to the Father. Think about when you take communion. When you take communion, what do you do? Declare his death until he comes. You declare his death until he comes. So part of your belief, part of faith, part of trusting is Jesus is coming back. And if he's coming back, who's he coming back for? Us. He's coming back for me. And so, although I have part of my fellowship relationship with God now, part of the blessings that that involves, part of the ways that he um, uh, is in this relationship with me, I don't have the fullness of it. So a lot of what I trust is something I can't see or touch or feel. Mm -hmm. It's something that I haven't yet fully received. I've received part of it, but I'm trusting that it's coming. And it's in that area that we need fellowship. That's why we need fellowship. Because we're being asked to trust something we haven't yet received. We're being asked to believe promises that we haven't yet reached the final fulfillment of. And I need help doing that. And you need help doing that. We need help believing God. Remember the, the guy who followed Christ and Christ said, your daughter's healed or your son is healed. And he said, Lord, I believe, forgive my unbelief. That's what we need each other for. Lord, I believe, forgive my unbelief. I mean, I've been a Christian 25 years and I honestly, I think probably I have unbelief every day. 
in some small measure about something, some dart or some thought that comes into my head and <coughs> makes me think, really, is that, can, that, can this really be true? I'm not saying, maybe not every day, do you know what I mean? But, and it's not a conscious long-term thing, but we need help. And when we most need help is when? Yeah, and when does that happen mostly? When it comes to the end of our stuff. When you, yeah, and... Yeah, yeah, time specifics, yeah. Mostly, mostly we need help with unbelief when life is really hard. <coughs> when we are most likely to doubt God is when we are going through a very difficult situation. And the question comes, why or how can I get through this or... Are you, are you really there, you know, and, and we, we go into this, this situation where we can't really hear God because all we can hear is all the rest of the stuff in our head and all the ways we feel trapped and we're contained and we can't get out of this and God, how am I going to do this? And, and even asking how am I going to do that is actually unbelief because we aren't going to do anything. God is going to do it. And so even some of our questions are actually a sign of unbelief. So why do I need you? And why do you need me? Why do we need close, real fellowship? Because there are so much of this life, there's so much of this life that is too hard and that will drag us away into doubt and unbelief and, um, and failure. And failure. And discouragement. And discouragement, yeah. Yeah. So, um, if, if we, you don't have to believe me. Read Paul, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7. I mean, of all people, uh, Paul, you would think he would never be struck with anything difficult. That he would never, I don't mean difficult in terms of physical, but never difficult in terms of his faith. That, you know, he, here's a man who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, who, <coughs> he says in his own words, was caught up to the third heaven where he heard things that were indescribable, saw things he wasn't allowed to talk about. And then in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 7, he says, or I'll start in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good faith fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. So what he's saying is, I, this, this life, I had to fight for my faith. I had to fight. I had to finish the course. I had to do that. And if he uses the word fight, you know it wasn't easy all the time. So our life of faith doesn't come naturally, and it's not easy. And so we need each other. I need you to fight for me when I can't fight for myself. And you need me to fight for you when you can't fight for yourself. And together, together in our little sets of four and eight and 16 and whatever it is, in those sets, we manage to lift up and edify the body of Christ. Um, Paul never, if you notice in his letters, he's never travelling alone, ever. I mean, he might do one single leg of a journey on his own because he meets, they've taken a boat and he's walked or vice versa, but he never travels alone. Luke... Uh, Titus, Silas, Barnabas, Mark, all of these people, women, Phoebe, Priscilla, 
uh, various women. He travelled with people. Why? Why? He knew the Lord better than perhaps any of us will know the Lord. He totally trusted God to, to get him. He knew his ministry. Why does he need people with him? Yes, because you can't live the Christian life on your own. Because it's too hard and the enemy is too strong. And the enemy's, sorry, Jesus set them out in twos. Yes, always, always. So, um, Paul needed the partnership of close friends, he needed that relationship, who would strengthen his faith, who would help him when he was afraid, who would see him through his anxious moments and his anxious times, and um, we need that same partnership, we need that same fellowship. So I want to look at two, if we, if we can manage two, but maybe just one, uh, uh, scripture and um, to look at uh, this idea of fellowship and meeting together. So Hebrews chapter 10 is the first one, verse 24 to 25. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Or oh, I'm going to start in 23, sorry. Uh, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see, the day drawing near. That's Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. So he begins this, well, he doesn't begin here actually, he started earlier up in the, in the chapter. But we'll start here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How do we, what is the confession of our hope? What is the confession? We're supposed to hold fast the confession of our hope. What is that? Jesus is coming back. Mm. Jesus is coming back. We have a blessed hope. He, he calls it in Titus. A blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. We believe in a risen, living Saviour. Our God is alive. He's not dead. And he is at work in us and through us. And, and what he's saying is hold fast that confession. And it does, doesn't hang there. He's put it in this chapter, in this paragraph, connected with these sentences around it for a purpose. And the very next sentence, in fact, it's, it's part of the same sentence, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is one sentence that he's put together. So you know that in order to hold fast the confession of your hope, you have to meet together. Because that's what he's put it together with. Let us... Um, Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to, and to good deeds. The two things are connected. We must be meeting together in order to hold fast the confession of our hope. And, and so let's break this up a bit more and see what he says. We're to meet together. We are commanded, instructed to meet together. This isn't, if you like fellowship, go ahead and make a little group. This is... Meet together, an instruction to do that. And the kind of meeting is for a purpose. What's the purpose, according to these verses? 
encourage one another. Yeah, in encouraging. And he says specifically here something. What does he say here? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, um, or stirring one another up, actually. So it's also stirring. Your, your translation might stir, say stirring. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So the reason for the fellowship is given there. What's the reason? That we might stimulate, stir each other up to love and to good deeds. What does it mean to stimulate one another to love? How can meeting together stimulate one another to love? To remind each other of God's love for right. us. Right. Yeah. Yes. Praising love. Yeah. I was just thinking this morning, I was just tearing my hair out with somebody. I just thought, <laughs> like this. And I'm thinking, like, oh Lord, just give Rusty grace. Yeah. And sometimes you just need somebody to come up and say, I understand where you are, but that's wrong attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try this one. <laughs> yes. So that's... It's the, thank you, but... Um, you didn't mean that, no? <laughs> I did, actually, but yeah. Um, uh, the reason that we're meeting together is to stimulate or stir one another up to love. <laughs> How can I love better after I've met with you? If you love, if we love you. Yeah, if you love me and... You feel love. If I feel loved and I feel... Of the Lord through other people. Yes, and... It's also reading the Word and studying the Word together. There you go. We all love each other more after this lesson. They, that's it. It's because of the Word. Yes, it's because of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes. It's not a dead word. It's yeah. alive. So if we speak it to one another, it has life. Yeah. And it gives life. And so I'm able to love better because you've loved me in fellowship. You've cared enough about me to ask and to listen to how I am. And then you haven't just gone along with that, like with Rosie this morning. Sorry, but you did bring it up. So like with Rosie this morning, you know, chuntering on upstairs and, and you know, an unforgiveness like a black cloud hanging over her, you know. And we've all been there. So, I mean, I'm often there. So, um it's like, I, I love you too much to let you stay there. You can't stay there because that will kill you. That will do you in. And you won't be stimulated to love and good deeds. You'll just spend the whole day chuntering on about, you know. So now, so when you're with me and I'm chuntering on about something, I want you to listen and put your arm around me and say, yeah, that was wrong, but oh my goodness, let's pray that we can forgive. Let's pray that we'll have grace. Let's do this, let's do that. And then what will happen when you do that? Yeah, you grow. You grow up, don't you? And you glorify God. You do? But just immediately what will happen? You feel better. Yes. yes, the person feels better. Not because you've said, yeah, yeah, that was so terrible, but because you've actually led that person to the reality of who they are in Christ. That's what we need from each other. I, I, that's what I need from you. And that's what you need from me. And if you're not having that, or getting that, or giving that, you are being starved of the only strength that, or the majority of the strength that the Lord is wanting to give you. And really, you know, the thing is, we know these things in our head, but we still don't meet together in small group. And, yeah, 
Why? And I'm not talking about not having any groups. I know that people have groups and they meet and, and I'm not even denigrating the groups that you meet in. But what I am saying is if you are not regularly meeting with three or four other Christians, five other Christians, sharing the word of God, listening to one another, caring for one another, building each other up, if you are not doing that on a regular basis, then you are starving yourself. And that <coughs> is crazy. Because the church doesn't need another anorexic Christian. <laughs> Honestly, we don't. There are too many of us around. Jesus commanded us, didn't he, to love one another. Mm. So in Paul, mm. in, writing, in writing these words, is actually encouraging us to obey that commandment. Yeah, exactly. That we love one another. Yeah. And in loving one another, remember, <coughs> he was speaking to his disciples. Yeah. You know, this is, of course, about making disciples, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So it all links up, really. So yeah. Paul is encouraging us to love one another, to obey Christ. And in mm. the obeying of Christ, mm. you know, we, people will see mm. that we love Jesus. Mm. It's, it's being real in the world exactly. as it is, you know, as we have to deal with it. Because yeah. we are in it. Yeah, mm. definitely. Whether we like it or not, we are. <laughs> we are. Thank you, Jane. So the first point that I think is that uh, meet, meet together, meet together, make it a point, to be deliberate, meet together. And the second point is, sounds like the first point, but he says here, um, not forsaking our own assembling together, meeting together, as is the habit of some. Mm. So when you don't meet, it becomes a habit. Mm. And habits for human beings are really difficult to break. Mm. So once you get into a train of not meeting in a small group, either you had one and few people left and it wasn't the same, or, or whatever reason you couldn't make it for a while and so you stopped going, if you are in that habit, break it. Do whatever you have to do to break that habit. If you are in the habit of not, uh, yeah, of not meeting with other, if you've never met with other believers, for you, you need to be meeting with other believers. I mean, you definitely do. And if you did meet with them, but now you don't, for whatever reason, poor you, get back into the habit of meeting. Because it's so easy not to meet. I mean, I, when I first was, became a Christian and first got introduced to Bible study, it was on a Tuesday morning, and there were a million reasons why I couldn't make it on a Tuesday. I can't tell you. My kids were, whatever they were, 13 and 11, something like that. Yeah, maybe 14 and 12. Always something happened on a Tuesday morning. Something happened. And there was a good reason why I couldn't go. And, it, it, you know, it took great effort sometimes to make myself go. And I only did that because someone told me, make yourself go because there'll be a million things.